You're listening to the Clutter Fairy Weekly, a weekly webcast and podcast brought to you by the Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas. If you'd like to participate in one of our live webcasts, please visit cfhou.com slash weekly. You'll find a calendar of upcoming webcasts, as well as instructions for joining the Zoom meeting via the app or by phone. We'd love to see you. That URL again is cfhou.com slash weekly. Now here's the weekly episode. Enjoy. Hi, Clutter Fairy fans. This is the Clutter Fairy Weekly for February 6th, 2024. Mm -hmm. I'm your co-host, Ed Gumnick, and I'm speaking with Gail Goddard, certified professional organizer and owner of the Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas. Hi, everybody. The Clutter Fairy Weekly is the webcast and podcast that digs deep into the clutter that piles up between you and the life that you want to be living. We explore the habits and behaviors that lead to clutter, and we suggest strategies to slow the accumulation, reduce the collection, and comfortably manage the stuff we decide to keep. If you're new to our Zoom meeting, we want to let you know that you can share your comments and questions via the chat, and I'll try to make sure Gail addresses them before we move on to another topic. You can also use the raise hand feature if you'd like to make a comment or ask a question yourself via audio or video, and we are streaming the webcast live on Facebook, so you can share your questions and comments there, and I'll relay them to Gail. We're going to start by talking about last week's weekly tittle, which was called Your Decorating Manifesto. The assignment was to design a decluttering algorithm slash personal manifesto to fit your style and decorating aesthetic. Let's hear from our participants in Zoom and on Facebook. Who crafted a decorative style statement this week? Please let us know in the comments. While we're waiting for our live audience to chime in with their tittle reports, Gail, do you have any, any more decorating versus clutter cautionary tales or success stories you can share? Sure. Um, actually, I worked for a friend of mine in her professional office. Um, she's a chiropractor and she's been in the same office for like 35 years. And you can imagine um, over those 35 years, all the people that have worked for her, all the things that have been added to the decor, all the things that have been hung up on the walls, all the chachis that have been put in place <clears throat> slowly over time. She has, um, her office had been, you know, wedged in here, added over there, and it just became more and more busy in there. <laughs> and when um, I started working in her office, uh, in order to refresh all of the spaces, we ended up taking all the art down. And there was a moment where uh, somebody came in and repainted. And so we had to take everything down. And as we were going through each room, we were reevaluating all of the tchotchkes and stuff that were there, um, the furniture in particular. There'd been a lot of let's add a chair here. Let's add a cabinet there. Let's add a, you know, there, there was all this extra furniture in there that was making everything a little crowded. And so <clears throat> we went through the process of thinning down the furniture, rearranging all the art. Like we took it all off, but we didn't put it all back in the same place. We took all of the art and evaluated where it would be best to be hung now as part of a you know a considered process for the whole place and it made a huge difference um, that we subtracted a bunch of furniture we subtracted a bunch of gigas that were sitting around and that we were more thoughtful about where all of the art and all of her like she has a lot of hanging things that are instructional related to here's body and muscles and skeletal structure and whatever that she uses to talk to her patients about. And so we were more thoughtful about where all those things went together and it was all a part of a cohesive plan all at once instead of all that piecemeal over three decades. And the end result is that the room is much, the, the office is much lighter. There's a lot less in there. And all the things that are in there are things that she likes and there's nothing in there that she doesn't like. And so um, she has said to me that she finds it very calming and refreshing to her and that the clients have um, given her the feedback that they really like how much how much better it looks and so um, it made a huge difference to stop and have a whole thought process about the entire office <clears throat> all at once and sort of reevaluate <laughs> everything that was in there and decide whether it really still made sense or not and 
offices are notorious in particular for somebody slaps something up on the wall or somebody goes and sticks something over there and then no one feels like they can do anything about it because it's an (laughs) office and they don't feel like they own it. And so it just becomes a sacred cow and it never gets moved. And so um, it was one of those uh, jobs where I got to go and move it all and, and made her make choices about all of it. And we probably took out half of the stuff that was in there Nice, and made a huge dent in it. So it was really, it was a good job. It was a good, you know, let's think about this decorating this office consciously instead of, <laughs> instead of tacking things here and there as over time. And so <clears throat> it was a good one. Excellent. Um, we've got lots of, lots of total reports coming in. CJ okay. says decor manifesto keywords Dynamic, meaningful, and sanctuary. Decorative enhancements of my space are kept minimal enough that a cleaning and maintenance recedes. The cleaning and maintenance recedes to a background activity, allowing Mm. my real life priorities to take center stage. Mm. Baby step application. Spend a couple hours, one section at a time, removing everything crowded on and just in front of each wall of my living room. Cleaned and returned only the absolutely yes decoration. Cool. That's great work. That's that's terrific work for a week. Right. And that must have felt like a lot of fresh air, right? If you were moving all that stuff out and you cleaned it all and then you only put back exactly what made you super happy. And so that it was a pared down version of what had been there before. I'm sure it felt like a fresh breeze went through the room. How wonderful. Congratulations. Paul says, manifestos are too much work, so I just shoveled stuff into bags that are now by the front door to go to the thrift store this afternoon. Hey, that works. That totally works. (laughs) And that's the goal, right? Like, you're just subtracting things that just don't need to be there anymore. They don't need to be part of your decor if you don't love them. And so, good for you. And get them out to the store and let somebody else play with them. Wolf says, but I was noticing when reorganizing in my room, I was getting squirrely after an extended illness. The importance for me of the balance between the decorative items and the empty space. Yes. Because you can't see the more crowded it gets, the less detail you see, right? And there's no place to rest your eye. And so creating a a visual that has some empty space in there so that you can see the pieces that are there and they're not competing for your attention in the same way as a space that's completely full of a hundred things and you don't know where to stop when you look. And so good for you. Empty space is soothing and empty space is definitely an important um, soothing atmosphere to have in a, in a bedroom. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, this this here's another another one that follows the standard form of I didn't do the tittle but we get a lot of those and that's perfectly cool we we're we're perfectly happy to hear those mm-hmm. M says I did not get my style statement crafted but did decide that my decorative items should actually be used as much as possible I have a lot of baskets tins pottery and cut glass pieces that I can put to work all right that works. You might as well use them for something, right? If you're going to keep them there. So, yeah. And if you're using them, they're less likely to collect dust. So there you go. Right. <laughs> Connie says, I'm totally, Em, I'm totally with you. That's my aim too. Suzanne commented on the word geegaws. She liked that. <laughs> said she's going to have to Google it. It just means, what does it mean? What's How would you define geegaws? Just a. Uh... Well, so in, in my head, it's uh, random objects. Okay doodahs it's yeah it's like doodahs it's like saying doodahs <laughs> maybe it's a texas version of doodahs naomi says decor is part of fast fashion decor in quotes is mm. part of fast fashion art is for the ages i would rather have rather have art than decor in my home there you go i feel so you- that way too i feel very strongly that anything that is purely decorative should be handmade or one of a kind or uh yeah it has to really have has to be special if it's if it's purely decorative i have a lot of stuff that i'd consider functional decoration you know like mirrors and uh um a mirrored mirrored rack where you can hang things oh right 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 clocks clocks count Mm. as functional decoration right 
Brenda says, I moved tables and chairs stacked against wall under TV, found room under stairs so I don't have to, oops, she didn't finish, have to look at, and then it trailed off. Oops, I should have read that one before. I, I should have read it to <laughs> myself before I read it out loud. But we See didn't she, get the implication in there. Diane says, when we redid our floors, I put everything downstairs. I've been enjoying the empty areas. I brought up a very few amount of things, I brought a very small amount of things up, basically a quilt rack with blankets. Sure needed them. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> People, a lot of places needed, needed, needed quilts this week. Right. Well, and it's important to notice that you like the clean look and the empty space. I mean, it isn't that you don't like decoration, but you're you're experiencing the how soothing it is for it to be empty and not chaotic to look at. And so being very intentional about what you bring back and put in there so that it feel it still feels calm or peaceful to you when you look in there is a good goal to aim for. Try to reset up the room with just the stuff that still feels calming and peaceful to you. Diana, who's with us on Facebook, says, my ongoing decor goal has been to lighten, brighten, and have a home that's quick to tidy and easy to clean. Getting there slowly but surely, my roadblock is my cherished collection of miniatures that live in antique printer drawers. Not Ooh. easy to clean, cluttered looking, but extremely sentimental, and they bring me joy. They are off the walls, living in a closet, and causing me angst. Oh, well, so maybe the trick is to get them on the walls with a with a cover. So maybe it's that you need to put them in those printer drawers and then put some plexi in front of them so that they're covered and they don't get dusty. <clears throat> it might be worth that addition so that you can look at your collection and enjoy it, but not be tortured at trying to clean it all the time. <clears throat> Um, that sort of a, you're sort of making the equivalent of a shadow box by putting a cover on the front of it. Um, or maybe you can pull out some of your favorites and make a smaller shadow box with them in it so that you, there's, you can look at some of them and hang it up and they're inside a container basically so that they're not getting dusty. Just a thought. I was thinking that, you know, if it's, if it's a very large collection and problematic to figure out how to display it all, yeah, come up with a come up with a way to display a handful of a handful at a time, and, in rotation. and then rot rotate them. Yeah, you know, do like the do like the museums do, and you know, you've got all the stuff stored and back, and once in a while you bring out all of these and show them for a while. Right, you can bring them out in themes, right? Yeah, to go with the, you know, here's the holiday ones, here's the, <laughs> here's the spring ones, here's the animal ones, whatever you can, uh, you know, create a rotating display. Julie says I had the whole house painted after Christmas. It was mm. overwhelming. I almost canceled. So glad I didn't. My walls are a blank slate. Now I have not put back anything and I'm taking my time to decide keep, to keep or donate. Good for you. Yeah. When you got those brand new, you know, they filled all the holes. They've, fixed all the flaws it's all beautiful even color and clean <clears throat> it's the perfect time to go okay now i'm going to make intentional choices about what goes where and when you start feeling like is it like ask yourself every time you hang one is that enough or do i think i want more <laughs> you don't all of those things that are waiting to go back up don't actually have to go back up and you can decide that they don't go they don't have to go in the same place as they were before you can shift them all around. You can put them in different rooms. Uh, this is the time to pretend like you're starting with, uh, you just moved in and you have your collection of artwork here and you're going to decide where it goes and you can make brand new choices for all of it. And so it will really look refreshed to you when you get there, when you get it all done and hopefully not hang everything and see how you like it. Okay. One more tittle report and then we need to move on. Linda okay. says, <clears throat> did not do the tittle but <laughs> in honor of today's procrastination topic i did the taxes the, oh. <laughs> the online tax service i use had a promotional slogan i like taxes let's get them over with 
That's, that slogan That's might good. be helpful for any boring or disagreeable chore. I love it. Fill in the blank. Let's get it Let's over Let's get with. it over with. <laughs> the, Thank you the, for sharing that. That's excellent. Gail, the webcast. Let's get it over with. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, we've prepared a lot of material. We we oh, yeah. we we put it off at first we put it off as long as we could, but then we eventually <laughs> got to work and have prepared a great deal of material. I don't know if we'll even get through it all today. Why do we procrastinate? We're probably not lazy or lacking in self-control. We know what needs to be done and why it's important mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. So why do we go out of our way to avoid the inevitable? Today, we're going to explore procrastination and avoidance behavior and suggest tips and techniques for breaking an unproductive cycle. In order to get ready for this topic, we did some fresh reading about procrastination and found a fabulous website, solvingprocrastination.com. Can't be any more straightforward than that. Right. Um, Dr. Edamar Schatz, a Cambridge PhD, writes for the site, and he had this to say about the topic. Procrastination is a common phenomenon, which chronically affects approximately 20% of adults and 50% of college students. <clears throat> it's associated with various issues such as worse academic performance, worse employment and financial status, worse emotional well-being, worse mental health, worse physical health, and delay in getting treatment for one's issues. According to Dr. Schatz, the two prevailing academic theories regarding the psychological causes of procrastination, which I apparently can't say today, are emotion regulation theory. This is the first one, which states that procrastination occurs when people prioritize their short-term mood over their long-term goal achievement and well-being, primarily by postponing aversive tasks in order to postpone associated negative emotions let's translate that into plain english right. so i'm i should be working on the content for next week's clutter fairy episode but it's more fun to play the games on my phone <laughs> because working on the episode feels like a burden Right. Or it feels like a lot of work <clears throat> and you're trying to avoid that I'm feeling. Avoid that negative feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the second theory is temporal motivation theory, which states that procrastination occurs when people's motivation is low, which can happen because of some combination of low value outcomes, low expectations of achieving the outcome, high delay before achieving the outcome and high sensitivity to the delay of outcome, which you will now translate as. Right. And so what that means is we procrastinate when motivation is low and and because um, we don't feel like the, the thing we're supposed to be doing has that much of a payoff or we're not sure we're ever even going to get there to that, to the payoff or it's going, it's too far away, a high, a high delay before achieving outcomes. The thing we're trying to accomplish is going to take us so long that our motivation level feels low. And then a high sensitivity, high sensitivity to the delay of outcomes. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how to interpret that, but. But the idea I guess is. That mean, I guess that means um, that your motivation drops off because there's such a, so much of a time delay, right? It's going to take mm -hmm. you so long to finish to, to get to the objective of the thing that you're avoiding. Boy, doesn't that uh, uh, cover working on clutter recovery, right? Because if you have to do the whole house, it takes forever <laughs> to get all the way around. <laughs> you can spend a year going around your house before you got to the end of the project. And that is definitely um, a delay in the outcome. <laughs> and so I'm sure that uh, that helps to keep motivation low. Quick comment just before we get too far away from it. Suzanne said only 20% of adults, I find that understated. I found a figure somewhere else that said 25% of adults deal with chronic procrastination. So that figure may 
may refer to chronic or prob you know problematic procrastination. I sort of imagine mm. everyone procrastinates a little bit sometime, at some point, right? Like at know? some moment in their life, yeah. exactly. We also found a 2019 New York Times article that reported on recent findings of psychological research into procrastination. And this is another doctor's name that I'm going to have to chew on. Dr. <laughs> Fuchsia Seurat, a professor of psychology at the University of Sheffield, says that procrastination is essentially irrational. We know that it's going to have negative consequences. We finish our work late or maybe not at all, but we do it anyway. But she says... People engage in the irrational cycle of chronic procrastination because of an inability to manage negative moods around a task. Procrastination isn't a character flaw or an inability to manage time, but rather a way of coping with negative emotions and moods that certain tasks produce in us, like boredom, anxiety, resentment, self-doubt, and more. In other words, we look at the task and we feel something negative, like fear that we're not going to be able to do it or to do it well or anxiety about how much time it's going to take or maybe low self-esteem associated with any procrastination we've already done. So we wander off to find something more interesting or fun to do while avoiding those negative feelings. And what happens then? We feel better. <clears throat> we've rewarded our, uh, we're rewarded for our procrastination with that momentary hit of relief, which only reinforces our tendency to do it. <laughs> The avoidance itself can create a feedback loop that makes us prone to procrastinate even more. But we only get a momentary reprieve from the negative emotions because the task that we're avoiding doesn't actually go away. <laughs> we just stop thinking about it for a minute. The negative emotions come flooding back and sometimes even while we're doing the avoidance activity and they can come back even stronger. Chronic procrastination doesn't just diminish our present productivity. It can also have destructive effects on our mental and physical health. So what do we do to break the cycle? We can start by finding a better psychological reward for ourselves than the feeling that our avoidance activity offers us. And one option is self-forgiveness. It's very purposely at the top of my list. A 2010 study showed that students who forgive themselves for procrastinating when studying for a first exam end up procrastinating less when studying for their next exam. And I think we all suffer from not forgiving ourselves for doing something that we consider to be unproductive or not useful or, and even if we go and do the thing, finally, if we finally, the alarm bell is going off long enough that we finally get off of our, you know, backsides and go do what we're supposed to do. <clears throat> We often don't forgive ourselves for waiting. And I think it's important to factor in this a little bit of self-care around procrastination. Yes, we do it. Yes, it's not productive. Yes, it doesn't help. Yes, we've wasted our time. Yes, we've made it worse. Fill in all those things that are true. But it doesn't change the fact that you're standing where you're standing. And if you, whatever has gone before, there's no point in, beating yourself up about it. And so getting to a, a place of self-forgiveness might just take some of the sting out of it and some of the punishment aspect out of it and maybe break the cycle of doing it over and over and over again a little bit. If you can just go, yeah, yeah, I did it, but I can, you know, I can forgive myself. I'm doing it now. Let's move on. Just that that's one of my I, I, theories anyway. Well, I, I think it's, I think that it's, um, it contributes to the cycle of procrastination to, um, to, to be focus, harsh with yourself, to focus. Yeah. To, to, to dwell on here. Here's how much time I've already wasted. I had six weeks to do this project and now I have three days and if you think about the five and a half weeks you've already wasted, if you spend too much time thinking about the five and a half weeks you've already wasted, you get real hung up and stuck and f have more fear than more fear or aversion to the project than you started out with. Yeah. And absolutely. you need to, the, with some self forgiveness, you can maybe dial back down the fear and anxiety to 
the, the level you at least you know no more than the level you started with <laughs> when <laughs> when you had all the time in the world to do the project right 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 exactly um another suggestion is to practice self-compassion that means recognizing that we went off the tracks by procrastinating but reacting with kindness and understanding instead of self-criticism and self-deprecation Self-compassion helps create personal growth and stronger motivation. And we were just talking about that. And it's definitely a, it's definitely a moment where being nice to yourself about it. And, and, and I'm not saying, yeah, talk yourself into procrastinating more. I'm saying be nice to yourself about the water that's gone under the bridge already and, and try to move forward from there. You might also shift your focus to positive aspects of the task that you're avoiding by per procrastination. What's going to be different or better in your space or your work or your life when you finish this chore? How will it feel when it's done? Visualize a good outcome. You might also try journaling about that good outcome. If you can think about, if I get this project done, then this will be better about my life. This will be better about my work. This will be better in my space. And, and how that translates in, in decluttering is, you know, if I get to this project and get it done, then I'm going to have this empty space. I'm going to have room again. I'm going to be able to use the dining table. I'm going to be able to walk into my closet. Think about the ways that achieving the project that you're avoiding will be a benefit or a source of good feelings on the other end. Pay attention to the feelings that come when you feel ready to procrastinate, when you want to procrastinate. What are they like? And what do they remind you of? Recognizing and naming those emotions that you're feeling may give you more power to manage them. <clears throat> How long have you believed that? Feel that, you know, I can't do this. I'm going to fail at this. I'm, I'm filling in the blanks here. I'm overwhelmed by this. Or, I'm overwhelmed by yeah. this. Maybe you believe that since you were a kid. And then I want to ask how sound of was that little kid's judgment at the time? Do you really think that judgment made by you as a young person about your current abilities is to handle something is a good one? We certainly have life experiences as a young person when we don't have all of our, we haven't evolved into our adult person yet. And hanging on to how we judged ourselves then versus who we are now is probably not a good comparison. It's probably not a reasonable way to judge ourselves. So pay attention to how you feel. Another technique is to try to get in, try getting into action, even if only in the smallest possible way. Break down the tasks that you're trying to accomplish into manageable steps and then commit to do one tiny first step of the project or the task on which you're procrastinating. You might find, as we've discussed here before, motivation flows out of even just a little bit of action. Sometimes it's just that first step that you can't make yourself do. If you can figure out the smallest first step possible, <laughs> right. maybe you can take that first step and get the train rolling down the track a little bit. This is where our our mantra of everything counts can come in yeah. come in handy. Wolf says, my school advisor taught me to essentially lower the barrier to entry until it feels ridiculous. When I had to study, <laughs> when I had to study, which I was having trouble with, all I required of myself was to open the textbook. And if that's all I did, it was okay. But once it was open, then at least some studying would usually get done. And what I tell people who say, yeah, I, I, I need, I need to start exercising or I need to, you know, I need to get in shape, put on your shoes and walk out the front door. And if that's all you do today, count it as a win. It counts. But, you know, once you've gone to the trouble of putting on the shoes and you're out the front door, maybe you'll walk to the mailbox and back, or maybe you'll do a little more. Give yourself permission to make a mistake. In other words, accept that your work can't be perfect, even if you'd started it six weeks ago when you first had the project. But a few pegs off of perfect is probably still a fantastic outcome. So if what's hanging you up is you don't think that you're going to do it perfectly or you don't think you're going to do it well or good enough or whatever, that fear of I'm not good enough, I can't get it done, it's not going to be perfect actively give yourself permission to make a mistake while you're doing it and to accept that it isn't going to be perfect and see if given that permission, you can't 
feel like it's easier to move forward. Um, a, a lot of people get hung up on the concept of having it be perfect. And if it, they can't figure out how to do it perfectly, they can't start. We are not perfect <laughs> as beings. And the idea that it could be perfect is really a pipe dream. So, well, and, and, and even if there is some standard, a standard, even if what you're calling perfection is something that is achievable, it's going to take successive approximations to get there. It's going to start out at whatever you're doing has almost any project has some kind of rough, rough draft or raw material form and you have Beginning, to go there yeah. first. It has to be like when you declutter a room, first you tear it all apart. Yes, I do. And, you, you, <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't look anything like any idea of perfection anyone has at that point. Right, right, right. And I, I have a perfect example of that when I was working in the doctor's office, I was talking to you about earlier. We we went up on a Saturday and we were we started with this storage room that had been being things packed into it for three decades. And we pulled everything out and sorted it. And it took like four and a half hours to empty the storage room. And then it was all over the office, inside the office. And in that moment, the doctor was like, oh, my God, I have patients coming on Monday. We can't leave it like this. <laughs> like, you could tell she was just freaking out because it was everywhere. And it, was, and it looked like total chaos. It was controlled chaos, but it was chaos. I'm like, no, 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 we're, this is the good part now. <laughs> and now we're now we're going to put it back in a way that makes sense. And we're not going to put everything back. And don't worry, I promise it's going to be better. And I forget that people at the height of the destruction, it looks like a bomb went off by the time I get done. Like the, it's all everywhere and it's a big mess and there's a bunch of trash and there's all these uh, collections of things that need to be gone through. And it's just total chaos. And I know it's going to get fixed and I can look at it and go, yeah, it took four and a half hours to empty, but it's only going to take, you know, 90 minutes to put it back. Like I know that in my head, but boy, she was panicking. <laughs> and and it was a perfect reminder of this is what it looks like to the client when I destroy a space completely in anticipation of rebuilding it back. And, you know, sometimes it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> So the next technique is make it easier for yourself to do by getting all of the things you need to do it together in advance. So maybe you don't start working on it, but your first step is that you go and gather everything together that you need to get started. So you can think about what do I have to do? What do I need? What supplies? Do, do I need a lamp? Do I need a blanket? Do I need a cup of tea? Do What do I need in order to um, start working on it? And so Go gather all those things together in one place. And that can be the equivalent of opening the textbook, right? You right. just um, get ready to do it. Well, you you definitely don't want lacking one tool or ingredient or component to be the stumbling block you. that takes you straight into your avoidance behavior. Well, <laughs> right. I don't have, I don't have this. I haven't found this one item, so I'm going to go ahead and watch TV instead. So now I can't finish and, oh, my yeah. gosh, what am I going to do? And, yeah, that's a recipe for disaster, right? So, yeah, gather all the pieces first. You can also do something to make it more fun for you while you're doing it, like listening to music or a book on tape, whatever's not distracting while you work. And I will tell you that when I have to do my own accounting, <laughs> <clears throat> I absolutely have to put fun music on in the background because if I watch the TV or if I have, you know, some kind of action on the television going, I will watch the TV and not do the, do the accounting. Like, Oh, I don't want to be doing this. So never mind. So I have to put on music so that I can sing along, but there's nothing to look at. And then I can stay focused and, and the music is fun and distracting for me. And so, I mean, it's it, it's it's fun to listen to while I'm doing it. I I was at a client um, over the weekend and she wanted me to work with her son. And so while I was working with him, she had her headphones on and she was walking around cleaning. And clearly she was listening to a book on tape 
while she was sweeping the floor and vacuuming and stuff. It's like, well, there you go. That's a perfect example of she was having a, you know, she was doing a chore. It was annoying. So she was listening to something so that she could be distracted a little bit. She could be entertained a little bit while she worked. So figure out what you can do that will be fun while you're working on the thing that you're procrastinating about. Um, but that won't be too distracting uh, to pull you away from the project. Um, this was another one that was in the one of some of the website stuff that we looked at. Remove any potential distractions like your phone to make it harder for you to procrastinate. <laughs> and I thought you can give your phone to your spouse for a specified period of time while you work. Like go surrender your phone to someone and say, don't give it back to me for half an hour. And <clears throat> Think of it as putting your phone in timeout so it's not bothering you. Or get your get your spouse to set up parental controls for you. <laughs> right? So you can't turn it, please, so you can't get into it. Please lock me out of YouTube during my work hours. <laughs> While I'm trying to get this done, right? So um, it it is just a matter of, I know for me, my phone is the most distracting. The notifications, the emails coming in. Uh, and there's a million ways that you can entertain yourself on the phone. And so if I want to get something else done, I have to go plug the phone in somewhere and ignore it. And so if you find that you're pulled to it too much, go hand it off to somebody and make them hold on to it for you. So you have to like stand in front of them to retrieve it. <laughs> and that way you'll, uh, you won't be able to retrieve it as often, or you can show up and say, I am now finished um, you know, I can have my phone back. <laughs> so yeah, give it a, give it a try. Go put it in timeout. Set some deadlines for yourself. Um, for instance, I'm going to complete this by noon tomorrow as an artificial pressure to get going. And why not react and get pressured into action for a deadline that you set yourself that just so happens to be in advance of the one set by someone else. So if you know, you have to get the paper done on Friday if you tell yourself that you're going to get it done by Wednesday and create that pressure on yourself to get it done by Wednesday, then you can hopefully get into action around it a little bit early and give yourself some space um, to not miss the original deadline for some that someone else has set on you. Deadlines are all kind of artificial anyway, right? They're not all uh, they're not all exactly real. So Right. Create I, one for yourself. Motivate I, yourself. I tell people all the time, there are no graphic design emergencies. There are things that clients think are emergencies, but <laughs> no, one, no one ever bleeds to death because a design project is not completed by the deadline. Exactly. That's exactly right. Another technique is that you have to identify your fears of starting a project and address them. What would you tell a good friend if they were feeling such a fear the way that you do? Are you feeling a fear of failure and not being able to accomplish it? Are you, do you have a fear of not getting it done perfectly? We talked about that earlier. Do you have a fear of looking foolish while you're doing something? Maybe you're having anxiety around your capacity to do it. Like you don't think you have the skills, whatever those fears are, those fears are contributing to your procrastination. And so thinking about them, acknowledging what is real, what the fear really is, and then asking yourself in a compassionate way, if I was sitting with my friend who was telling me these fears, what would I tell them about it? What would I say to them? And maybe you can compassionately coach yourself around that fear of failure is probably not 100% real. And maybe you can give yourself some support around the ideas that your mind is, you know, your emotions are controlling you in the moment. And maybe you can give yourself some support around them. Um, I want to share a comment from Samudra be before we get too, too far away from the previous point you talked about, which was setting deadlines. Okay. She says, or we are more efficient under a bit of pressure. Yes. Isn't that true? So, and so give yourself a little pressure, make some pressure for yourself. Well, except I'm wondering whether what, what she's suggesting is that, that, that may be a cause of procrastination for some people mm. that 
at some level we recognize that I'm, you know, I can't get, I can't get serious about this project until, until the fire is really burning until, you know, until there's a greater sense of urgency. I, I, I experienced that. It's true. And I think that um, for me, there's a level of emergency that uh, it isn't the emergency of the time. It's, it's the importance of the result that I will, I start to feel more nervous about it. This happens for me when I'm trying to get prepared for NAPO board meetings. I can't miss the mark on that. I have to be ready. I have to be prepared to talk about the financial statements to the board. And so I start earlier. I come out of procrastination about that stuff earlier because I know I need a, a chunk of time to be well prepared. And it is super important to me that I am prepared for that meeting for all kinds of reasons, not the least of which is these are my professional colleagues and, you know, looking unprepared in front of a bunch of organizers <laughs> is super humiliating. <laughs> so <laughs> there is definitely a, a performance anxiety around doing that, that, that gets me started getting ready earlier rather than later. Other things that, you know, I feel like don't have as much um, importance or value I, I might procrastinate a little bit longer, but anyway, it's, 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 that's what happens for me. Yeah. Okay. So um, we also have the idea that you can, um, you want to manage your energy and your focus ability while you're working on something. And so working and taking small breaks to recover your energy is important. Um, it's important cope, coping mechanism while you're working on something that's procrastination too. The thing about it, when you're young, you can wait until the night before and then stay up all night long cramming for the exam and then take the exam because you have the the energy of a youthful person to survive. But <laughs> if you're not, you know, 20 anymore, <clears throat> the idea of um, waiting till the last possible minute and giving up sleep in order to do what you need to do is uh is really not a very successful strategy as you well know you run out of steam way before and then you your results tank and so i never you know i i didn't pull a lot of all-nighters but when, on the very few occasions when i pulled an all-nighter to complete a paper or something like that yeah they were never very good i know right it was always a wreck right <laughs> yeah so recognizing that Caffeine is not that good. It's, it's not, not a substitute. It's not that effective. <laughs> it is not a substitute for preparation and hard work. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so recognizing that you're going to need time to work and time to take breaks in order to have good energy and good focus and to you know write good material or produce good results, you need to be in good shape. And so baking in enough time to do your work and also take breaks and recover your energy to be fueled by food and that kind of stuff is uh, super important. Another suggestion that we found on the website was uh, creating a starting ritual, like counting down five, four, three, two, one, go. (laughs) Or maybe it's that you go in and you make your favorite coffee the way that you like it and go sit down with that cup of coffee and that's your starting ritual or you go and turn on some specific music and that's your starting ritual. Come up with a ritual that signals to you, okay, I'm going to start working now and go do that ritual in order to help you get into the mindset of getting started. We also want you to not forget that any underlying conditions are going to exacerbate the problem of procrastination. So make sure you're treating ADHD, anxiety and depression, et cetera, Being supported with these issues gives you more uh, energy and focus to work with. Make sure you've taken all your meds or you've done your exercise or meditating or journaling, whatever's helping you manage these coexisting conditions. So uh, procrastination is easier if you are struggling with untreated ADHD, anxiety, depression. It may be that you need to go and maybe you haven't been treating them at all and maybe you need to go and get them treated first before you're able to make headway against procrastination. Just recognize that those 
certainly make the tendency worse and they can use with some support as well. I want to share a comment from Seuss who says adrenaline works and last, last minute ACK works or did work until I got older. Now I do not have the stamina or ability in other ways to do things last minute. I do not have the performance ability that I had when younger, and that's been true for quite a while. I feel her pain on that one. Yeah, I I, right? I, I recognize that, you know, once upon a time, I could put things off till the last minute and then work that 12-hour day to In a get flurry. It, you know, it just crazy, caffeine-fueled 12-hour day of work. And now that that just can't, I can't do it's it. It's too expensive. It costs yeah. too much in terms of physical and mental capacity to do that. If I and did it, I would spend four days recovering right? from working exactly. a 12 hour day, you know, or you'd work, <laughs> you know, you'd work eight of the 12 hours and you'd collapse and you wouldn't be able to get to the end. <laughs> and so like, if, if the goal is to actually finish a project, you have to recognize what kind of time needs to be baked in for your own energy and capacity. Right. So the last technique I'm going to give you today is you want to start with your easiest task or start with your hardest task. Everybody has a personal preference on this as to what's easier to make happen and what keeps you going on a project. You can either ease into it slowly by starting with the easiest task, or you can hit it hard up front by starting the hardest task. Personally, I have to ease into the hard stuff by doing the easy stuff first. I hate tackling the hardest thing first. So I ease into motion by doing the easiest stuff first. And, and I find that for me, doing the easiest thing first gets me in motion, gets me in, in the environment that I'm supposed to be working. It gets me touching the materials. It gets me thinking about it. It gets me uh, starting to organize my thoughts around it. And so it sort of eases me into the mindset that I need in order to then tackle the hard thing next. But for That's, other people, it's the other way around. I'm the other way around. Okay, describe. I'm more of an eat the frog kind of guy. <laughs> it, this, this is attributed to Mark Twain, but I don't know if Mark Twain really said if if the worst thing you have to do to today is eat eat a frog, start by eating the frog. Something mm. that someone wrote a book. Someone wrote a book about productivity called Eat the Frog. Right. Um, and. I think that's connected, though, to the fact that I'm a morning person mm, and you mm -hmm. are a night owl. Yes. And so you're as a night owl, you take a long time to ramp up to your peak of productivity. That's and I'm true. much more like a I burst out of bed ready to do my best work. Ricocheting of off the walls. <laughs> and by by 1030, I'm a hot mess. You know, I'm like, oh, no, all my best energy is already spent. <laughs> well, yeah, because you start at like six or something. It's so shocking to me. And then you add coffee on top of that, which is real. Like your morning person plus coffee is a Except powerhouse. I, I'm telling I, you. I have had to give up caffeine. I, I don't. I drink decaf now. Oh, I my gosh. I, I, I sometime in the last couple of years, I became so sensitive to caffeine that I can't even tolerate one cup of coffee. I feel like I'm my heart is fluttering if I drink even a single cup of coffee. Oh my gosh. But wow, that's off that's topic. Crazy. Yes, it is. <laughs> but, but it is, it is exactly to your point that you're a morning person. And so you come up with all the energy and strength right away. And I sort of have to ease into the day. That's totally true. And I do tend to do all of the hard stuff that I need to do late at night. <laughs> that's like at the end of my day and after dinner and then i start working on this like all of that prep that i did for the um the treasures meeting all happened over a couple of nights um reading the materials and then reviewing the financial statements and making notes and that all happened over three different nights and so um that's 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 definitely when i'm productive but i think everybody you know they have a preference about it's easier for them to do the hard thing first and get it behind them. Or it's easier to do the easy things first and get started. And that's just a personal preference thing, right? So whichever one works for you. <laughs> yeah, or it's a, a disposition. Right. Um, Rejoice said, my dad once told me your middle name should have been Brinkmanship, but you always come up smelling like a rose. <laughs> I, I learned it from you, dad. Um, I have had the thought, and I want your feedback on this, that if the universe keeps rewarding me for procrastinating, you know, 
by giving me these huge bursts of creativity at the last minute to get done the thing I need to get done. You know, and I, I'm, I, I can't tell you how many times I've waited too long and poured on the steam and then suddenly the brilliance showed up at the last minute. And I'm like, yeah, see, that's why I keep doing it because the universe keeps rewarding me for procrastinating. Oh, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I do, but I think um, it isn't the procrastination that makes the brilliance come. I don't think. No, it's the, I, when the actual work is happening. Yes. And so, I mean, you can still arrive at that brilliant place. You can arrive at that place while you're working even if the working doesn't happen under the pressure of procrastination. Okay. You should say that, repeat that again for everyone of similar disposition. <laughs> you can arrive at the moment of brilliance while you're doing the work. Like it's really that you have gotten into the flow of your work. And while you're there, your brilliance shows up. Right. And it, it doesn't have to be pressure cooked by procrastination you just have to be in your workflow that brilliance is when you are focused on the task and you're working on it and uh, you're thinking about it and you pull all the materials together and then your brilliance shows up but that's not because of the press procrastination it's because you've gotten into it if you get into it in a non-procrastinated state you will still arrive at your brilliance and i have to say i've seen you do it before <laughs> hundred percent because we've sat and done things that weren't under deadline. When we did work sessions, I'm thinking of being at the house in Galveston and working on, you know, projects and planning a year. Yeah. yeah and suddenly, you know, you come up with something. It's like, Oh my God, that is brilliant. And in it, it's there. It just, you just need to be in the middle of work to see it. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, you don't, you don't have brilliance before you're working because you're not thinking about it. And so you have to be in the middle of your thing to uh, to have the brilliance kick in. Does that make sense? <clears throat> if you're doing nothing, um, your brain is not uh, reaching for the brilliance. Samudra says, it's true that your brilliance needs you to be there, but brilliance is like grace. It shows up when it feels like it. Well, yeah. But, you know, you have to participate in that, right? Like you have to participate by be trying to, to work on it. Like when I'm doing something creative with beads, I can't make anything happen if I'm not actually beading. <laughs> I have to be sitting in front of the beads and working on them in order for something creative to happen. And, and it's the same for you. I mean, I would think it'd be the same for you when you're writing as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's a process that we have to get into. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you, you, you have to write nonsense for a while before before your brilliant shows or, up order or order and meaning uh arise yeah 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 um someone asked me a question via direct message so i'm not going to say who it was in case uh they wanted uh privacy anonymous. on this but mm -hmm. could you respond to a fear of loss at letting go of stuff as a reason for procrastination but you're not going to yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it yes so I know. sorry the, <laughs> the fear of loss uh, of letting go of something, it hangs people up a lot, actually. Uh, and I think that the response to the fear of loss is different depending on each particular item that you're trying to let go. But asking yourself, if you let go of this specific item and you don't have it anymore, what have you lost and how can you mitigate that loss? Will you really be in trouble or would you just be inconvenienced? Like uh, if I let go of this cereal, that's bad. Am I really going to be without cereal? No, I can replace it. I can go and find it. If I let go of this thing that reminds me of my mother, uh, am I really not going to remember my mother anymore? Do I not have other things related to my mother? Well, of course you do. So there's other things for you to serve as memory triggers and memory keepers around somebody that you've lost. And so any specific item doesn't have to be the one thing that prevents you from getting, from forgetting your mother. There's other things in your life that will remind you. And <clears throat> truthfully, if you had nothing, you would still remember your mother 
And so it isn't that you actually have to have those things. It's just that those things are comforting and, and peaceful and helpful. That fear of loss is it, it it's going to be the loss is going to be slightly different depending on the object that you're thinking of and thinking about what you're really what you're really losing if you give it up and can you have another way to cope if you do lose something and it is a problem do you have another way to cope is there a, a way around it and almost 99% of the time there is and so the fear is just a little exaggerated because you can't imagine that change or difference and hopefully um thinking about it and actively saying, what would I do to cope if I give this away and then find out that I need something? What will I do to cope? How will I survive? What will what will I do instead? And come up with some solutions to the problem in advance and recognize that there are there are often solutions and it won't be as devastating as you think. Uh, I, and our, our initial response is, oh, God, I can't imagine giving this up. It'll be awful. And and all you can imagine is the devastation. But the truth is, take a minute, take a breath, and think about what really will be lost. And can you cope? Can you recover? Can you do without or work around uh, something that's lost? And the truth is, almost all the time, there's some way to get around it. And you can cope. And so... Uh, hopefully that diminishes the fear and lets you try it. There you go. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. We, I'm going to come back to you for a final thought, but first okay. let's talk about next week. Okay. Since Valentine's day is next week, it seems like a good time to address the many ways in which our relationship with our stuff can muck up our love lives or other aspects of our <laughs> dealings with other people. Right. Join us on February 13th at the usual time, noon U.S. Central Time, for Love Me, Love My Clutter, Organizing, or, organizing Styles in Relationships. I am tongue-tied today. <laughs> Why don't you give us your final thought, and then we'll go to the tittle. Okay. Uh, so we've covered several ideas about how to make a shift in your procrastination cycle. Please visit the website we mentioned, solvingprocrastination.com. There's so much more there to support you on this topic. There's a lot of material there. I'm going to include links to two of the pages that I found the most helpful in the show notes today. So Okay, cool. We all have moments in our lives when we stall instead of doing something. For me, the biggest coping technique is to forgive yourself for whatever has gone before and take a step to move forward from there. Whether it made sense or was a complete waste of time or created problems to procrastinate before, there's no changing where you're standing right now. So you can't go back or reverse what's already happened. Forgiving yourself and moving forward is the kindest thing you can do for yourself. Ed and I will be here trying to do exactly the same thing as you, shifting our procrastination to action. And we'll be here to talk about it next week. Why don't you give us the tittle? The tittle is Procrastination Journal. This week's assignment is to spend some time paying attention to your experiences with procrastination. Keep a procrastination journal for one week. For this purpose, you may keep a, a single sheet of paper close at hand, open an electronic file, or set aside a page within a notebook that you already use. Each time you feel the urge to procrastinate this week, jot down a note about what was going on for you and answer as many of the following questions as you can. Why do you feel that what do you feel that you ought to be doing? Why what do you feel like doing instead? What emotion do you associate right now with the task that you're avoiding? And what emotion do you associate right now with the activity that you're doing instead? Resist the urge to criticize or judge yourself. We just want you to observe your reactions and note what's going on. At the end of a week, review your procrastination journal entries to see what patterns and trends you can identify and notice whether the exercise has had any noticeable effect on your tendency to procrastinate. We're hoping that being conscious about when you're procrastinating and what emotions you feel while you're thinking about procrastinating and what emotions you feel while you're avoiding procrastinating helps you see, uh, uh, puts a little window into what's going on and gives you a, a place that you can try to address it. Come back and tell us next week what's going on. 
We if always want to hear. If you're watching this on YouTube, we'd love for you to join us live. To get notifications about upcoming events, we invite you to join the meetup group by visiting cfhou.com slash meetup. You can also follow us on follow us on Facebook by visiting cfhou.com slash Facebook or join our mailing list by visiting cfhou.com slash subscribe. We love to hear from you, so please send us your questions, comments, and topic suggestions on YouTube, Facebook, or anywhere that you find us. You can always reach us through our website at clutterfairhouston.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We hope that you got some little helpful information about procrastination. We want you to be able to face it like we all struggle with this every day. We all have our moments of needing support. So hopefully this was helpful, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.